Well, good morning, Church on the Trail. I hope you are doing well. As I told the uh, earlier service this morning when I started, I had to practice that a lot on the way in here today. Um, Because the last time I was here, it was not Church on the Trail. But uh, I'm glad to be with you today. Uh, How many of you... um, are part of Church on the Trail, and uh, I haven't been around for a couple of years. How many of you do not know me and I do not know you? Raise your hand. Okay, that's a great sign, because that says a lot about what Church on the Trail continues to do in reaching people. But my name is Mike, and as Ed shared with you on that video a moment ago, Ed and I actually go all the way back to high school, and there's some things, with, there's some stories that could be told about that, but uh, trust me, you don't want to hear them um, on Ed's side and on mine. And uh, But Ed and I do go way back. And I want to just say something about that video, those two guys uh, that you just saw. And aren't you glad to be inside right now? Okay. Um, I, and I shared this with the first service too. There is There was no better person called by God to start this church than Jeff Murphy. Jeff Murphy was obviously God's called man to begin my church that has now become Church on the Trail. And I think that is absolutely obvious at all that Jeff uh, accomplished while he was here. And uh, Jeff and I have been good friends ever since he came. I became his friend then and still today. uh, I miss him. And I like to tease him, especially when he's not around, because, you know, Jeff likes to uh, be this big tough guy. Y'all know Jeff, right? He thinks he's tough. He acts real tough. But I know he's not. Do you know why? Okay. Because his heart's about this big. I mean, y'all know Jeff. Jeff loves God. He loves people. And he loves to give his heart away to people. And that's what made Jeff such an amazing uh, guy to be around and a great friend that I still call a friend today. But just like that, I believe God's called man is the best man once again to take church on the trail to the next level, to the next phase of life in the person of Ed Griffin Hagen. His story amazes me. I love how he came to faith in Christ. Uh, I love what Ed does. And he is, again, the perfect person to be leading you as a church right now. And I love him as a great friend. And I appreciate the fact that he's invited me back. I've been gone for a while helping some other churches out. But I always love being back at my uh, church on the trail. See, I knew it. I didn't mess up the first service at all. I did not mess up once in the first service and say that. But I am glad to be with you. I love Richard Moore. You can't be around Richard Moore for long and not love him. Um, And so uh, I love your staff. I I even pray for this bearded guy who leads y'all in music. You know, he seems like a pretty good guy most of the time. And so uh, I love him a lot. And I still secretly, well, it's not a secret because I'm about to let it out. I still want to be Ben Faust. He has got to be the coolest uh, guitarist uh, anywhere, and I know he worships God, and so I, want to, I still want to be Ben Faust. Uh, so anyway, I did not tell the first service that. But hey, I do not have a specific Mother's Day message for you today. In other words, it's not targeting mothers or moms or ladies or whatever, but I think you'll see that in the title of this message and what I share with you, it's very mom-like, okay? And that is this. I want to talk with you about living a life that matters, okay? How many of you truly want to live a life that matters? I mean, seriously, you want to live a life of what I would call maximum impact, okay? In other words, you don't want to just take up space. 
You don't want to just use up air, okay? You don't want to just be there and go through the motions of life, but you want to live a life of maximum impact, a life that matters, a life that is going to accomplish something much bigger than who you are today. Now, there was a movie... Uh, I I believe it was put out in 2000 or 2001 maybe, maybe even 2002 because that's getting to be farther in the past for me than I can remember. But it was a movie, Pearl Harbor, okay? And if you saw that movie then, it was not a movie that was designed to be a a factual reenactment or or whatever of the, the days of Pearl Harbor, but it was using that Pearl Harbor story really almost to tell a love story. And there were two guys that were friends who were pilots in that movie. And their names in the movie were Rafe and Danny, okay? And if you remember the movie, Rafe decided to volunteer to go help the British to fight Germany over there. And when he showed up, the commander there asked him, he said, are all Yanks as anxious as you are to die? In other words, they called us Americans Yankees and they called us Yanks for short. He said, are all Yanks as anxious as you are to die? And his response that day to that commander was this. He says, I am not anxious to die, sir. He said, I'm anxious to matter. And that's what was on his heart, at least in the movie, okay? But I believe in real life today, I believe that I am in front of today, looking at you, people who want to matter. Now here's what I know in life, and you don't have to do what I do every day and... Uh, to, to understand this. All you have to do is pay attention in life. And here's what you know. If somebody ever comes up to you and says, hey, how's life going for you today? There's really two sides of the coin that, uh, to, to answer that question. The first side is this. Life is great. All right? I think when all is said and done, with all of our complaints, all of our worries all the things that make us mad or all the things that we look at that need to be changed in life, I think we would say, you know what, life is pretty good. I like to call it God-blessed America in which we live. And here in this great country that we call home, there's so much wealth, there's so much bounty, there's so much blessing to be had that life is pretty good when we think about the question, hey, how's life treating you? But there is obviously another side of the coin to this story. And again, if you're paying attention in life and you, and you just listen and you look enough at people's lives, you realize that if you're asked the question, how is life treating you, they might look at you and say, you know what, it is not good at all. Because I'm experiencing brokenness right now in my life. And because of that brokenness, a lot of times we see people experiencing anger. And because of anger, and when life is not going that well and it is so broken, it results in bitterness and so oftentimes when we look at people and we say, hey, how's life going for you? They're, they're literally thinking in their mind, and you might be thinking this even right now yourself, I don't know what your life situation is. You might be thinking, Mike, my, my, my life is pretty broken right now. And I'm one of those people that you're mentioning, that you're talking about. I am angry about things. I am bitter. I am seeing separation in my life, not just separation from people, okay, but separation from what I would have called my hopes, separation from what I would consider to have been my dreams in life. And I see them slipping away right now because of the brokenness that I'm experiencing and it's just not what I ever dreamed it would be. Well, I want to tell you something today and I want to, I want to speak about the church for a few moments, okay? And when I say the church, I'm, I'm really talking about the church around the globe, okay? But specifically today, I want us to think about the church on the trail. 
And I want us to think about this in terms of this body of believers, this, fo- this group of followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and what God has called us to do, what He's called us to be as we try to live a life that matters, as we try to live a life that's going to have the maximum impact there is. You know, in the midst of all the brokenness that we have just mentioned and, and again, just highlighted because there's so many ways that looks, the church is called to be a family. Are you ready for this? The church in the Scripture is called to be a family that characterizes strength, unity, love, and acceptance. Now, you can put in some other words there. Those are just the words that I chose to write down on my notes in front of me. But the church is called to be a family that characterizes certain things. And that is strength and unity and love and acceptance. Now, I know I'm not the oldest person in the room, okay? If for no other reason, because my parents are here today, right? And so I can't be older than them. But I know I'm not the oldest, but how many of you are old enough to remember the show Candid Camera? Raise your hand. All right. A lot of people know the the show Candid Camera. Well, it's one of these shows that the camera was hidden, of course, and it was done so to look at the reactions of those who you were playing the joke on or trying to decide or trying to discern how they would react. You know, there's other shows like that today, like uh, Impractical Jokers, you know. I don't know if you've ever watched that one. Sometimes I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, but, you know, it's done to see what, how people will react in times that they don't know a camera is on them. Candid Camera set up a restaurant, okay? And in this restaurant, they filled it up with people. And this restaurant was full, absolutely full, not a seat to be had except for one table, okay? And at this one table, they would wait for the next family, okay, or couple or, or whomever it was to come in and they would seat them at this table. Now I want you to imagine with me for just a moment. This is actually a, a, a candid camera episode. Can you, can you imagine going there with your, your husband or your wife or your boyfriend, your girlfriend, and you're, and you're ready just to have a nice romantic evening there together? You're prepared to reach across the table and hold her hand and tell her how beautiful she is and her eyes are just the greatest thing you ever looked into. And then all of a sudden the hostess comes up to the table because candid cameras at work. And they do something that's never done in a restaurant and they look at you and say, hey, if you don't mind, we're going to seat this other person with you today. (laughs) Because everything else is full, this person is kind of in a hurry. And so we told them, yes, that there's a vacant seat beside you and we can seat this person next to you. Now, can you imagine that happening to you? I mean, even if it's your family, if it's you and your children or whomever, or just, again, you're on a date and you're looking forward to this great time, and that's where the camera was going to reveal all that was going to happen. Now, what do you imagine happened? I'll tell you two things that were the predominant things that happened, okay? First of all, as you can imagine, conversation was done. (laughs) Conversation was over. Because, listen, there's, there's typically no more intimate setting in your home or anywhere you go than around the table. I mean, that's where the most intimate times are with a a couple, with a family, and all of a sudden that intimacy is just invaded. And here's this stranger. And so you can imagine, it's like, okay, well, I can't say these things now. I'll sound like an idiot, or I don't want him to hear what I'm going to tell her, or, or all that conversation ended. In fact, the second thing that happened was it was so uncomfortable, people got up and left. They got up and left. Now think about this for just a moment. 
That's an invasion. It's an invasion. You didn't expect it. Okay? You weren't planning on it. And it's not like it was a friend. Okay? It's not like it was somebody you knew. It was a total stranger. And so how would you have reacted at that time? I mean, you may have done the very same thing. And listen, I may have done the very same thing as well. I, you know, I'd like to think that I'm better and that I'm just the great host of anybody and I can welcome anyone in. But the truth be known, I don't know if I would have acted any differently than that. Now, I want you to hold that picture in your mind for just a moment, okay, or that, or that kind of concept. And let's go back to the fact that people are experiencing all kinds of brokenness that, that we may not see, Bitterness and anger and rage at the result of the brokenness in their life that has caused separation from people, separation from dreams or hopes or or all these things that creates a sadness, okay? And then what I said to you a moment ago, and that is the church is called to characterize strength, love, unity, and acceptance. I want you to look at this, uh, this little passage of Scripture, okay? It's only two verses long for now. And it's going to be up on the screen behind me when, when, the, when they put it up. It's in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Now, before I read it, even if it's up on the screen already, that's fine. Before I read it to you, there's some stuff in these two verses that talk about theologies and doctrines that are pretty deep. And we're not going to touch on those today. Okay? So if you see a word that makes you think of this thing called predestination, we're not going to talk about that. We'll save that for another day, okay? Because it's a long conversation. And not nearly as fun as this one, so it's boring, all right? But anyway, I, I shouldn't say that. So we're, I want you to look at this and think about where the church is called to be in the midst of such stuff that we look at around us in our life. Verse 4, it says, For He chose us. God chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. And then the Scripture says, In love... He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. Now I want you to think about this, about what God has called us and chosen us to be as the church, as that, as that, that group that's char- to be characterized by strength and love and unity and acceptance. First of all, it says that He chose us before the creation of the world. If you've ever wondered where you stand with God, all you have to realize is this, is that before the creation of the world ever became reality, God chose you. He knew you'd be here today. He has chosen you. He has handpicked you for this time. And it says that He has predestined us at that point to be adopted as His sons. He has chosen to adopt us, to graft us into His family. That is his choice. He has said, listen, I've got an empty chair beside me. I want you in it. And so he has chosen you, adopting you into his family. And then it says here, in accordance with his pleasure. Chick-fil-A was not the first one to say my pleasure. God did. He said, it's my pleasure to welcome you in. It is my pleasure to choose you. It is my pleasure to adopt you and to graft you into my family. It is what I want. It is done in love, he says. In love, that is what he has chosen to do. And so I think about all kinds of things and I've written down some statements that this, thing, that this, that this verse makes me think of in, in lieu of this subject and that is this. God wanted you in his family. You have to know that. You have to understand this. You have to believe it. If you've never believed that before, you must believe today, God wants me in His family. 
God has made that invitation clear that he wants me to be a part of this. The second thought I have is that you are precious and beautiful to him. Now this is more than just some kind of motivational speech. This is, this is what the scripture teaches. I'm not sitting here telling you go home and as you go home today say, oh, I'm beautiful to God, I'm precious to God, I'm beautiful to God so that you'll feel better about yourself. This is what God wants you to know. God wants you to know that you are precious enough and beautiful enough to Him that He would actually send His Son to Calvary to die the cruelest death ever in all time to pay for your sins and to make you free in forgiveness. And so you are precious. You are beautiful to Him. He wants you in His family. It is His great pleasure to have you become a part of His family. And He he comes to you. And He wants us to come to Him to his table with open arms. Now, I said to the first service, I don't know if you're people who write things down or if you want to walk away and have one memory or one thought of what was said today. But if you write anything down, if you try to remember any one thing that you go home with today from this, I'm about to give it to you, okay? Are you ready for this? It is this. The church, okay, that God has created us to be, is this, the church is the most powerful defense against pain, hurt, corruption, depression, stress, hopelessness, loneliness, discord, or put any other word in there that is not a good one. The church is the most powerful defense against all those things. The church, you, you are the most powerful defense for other people who are going through pain in life that is resulting in brokenness in life, that is resulting in anger in life, that is going to the point of bitterness in life because of all the brokenness and separation that it's doing in all of their life. You today, as the church, we together, as the body of Christ, we are the most powerful defense. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives within us and empowers us to be this defense and to offer people hope in all these times. And listen, people need this. Because of what I do, and again, you don't have to be so clever to know this. All you have to do is pay attention. All you have to do is keep your eyes and ears open, and you'll see that not only people need this kind of hope, but people want this. But do you know what the question is in their mind? The question in their mind is this, is am I welcome at the table with you? Am I welcome to be a part of your group? Because if you knew what I did... If you knew what my past was like, I'm not so sure you would welcome me into your group. That's what people are afraid of in the midst of all their brokenness. I read an interesting story. Again, if you're old enough to, uh, to know who this is, you'll recognize his name was Dan Deerdorf. Okay? He was a football player. And he, was, he made it, played in the National Football League. He was an NFL football star. And then from there, Dan Deerdorf became a broadcaster. He was one of those guys that talked and did all the, you know, the broadcasting of all the football games. And I think he worked as a broadcaster all the way up to something like 2013, maybe 2012. So six, seven years ago, he finally retired. But as Dan Deerdorf tells his story... There's a couple of parts to this story that you need to hear. The first one is this. He said that as an adult, okay, he, he said, I made more money 
And I bettered myself every year of my adult life. And he said, if you had graphed my progress as an adult, because I made more money every year of my life, and I bettered myself professionally every year. He says, my life was like this 45-degree graph, line on a graph. And then it got better every year, better every year, better, 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 better. He said, because I never had any hitches professionally in my life. And so he said, That's once, that, was, that was my life. Everything was wonderful. Everything was good. But there was one devastating event that happened in his life that he talks about. In January of 1985, his daughter named Kelly, who was two months old, died in the crib of SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. So you have this one view of Dan Deardorff's life where he himself said it was just an upward trajectory the whole time I was alive. My whole adult life was nothing but better and more and better and more. But he said as this happened in his life, he said it was pain beyond belief. He also said it was like a black hole that was sucking me in. He says, I could not get out of it. I was falling farther and farther in, and the pain was very, very real. He says, it was more than I could take. And this is what he said. Listen, listen to what Dan Dudorf said about this. He says, I learned one huge, he used the word huge, lesson. And it was this. He said, it made me more sensitive to other people's problems. And then he said this. When everything is going well, you're not aware of other people's problems because you don't have time. Now think about that for just a moment. We've all been on probably both sides of that coin, just like Dan Deardorff, okay? But when life is so good and we're experiencing the upward trajectory of everything that God is blessing us with, it was Dan Deardorff's recognition as he learned this lesson. He said, in that, I couldn't see other people's problems. I had no idea. And then he, he said, I actually didn't even have time for it. I was just living in my world, enjoying all of my things. But then he said, you suddenly realize that in your pain, when it comes to you, you realize, wow, people all around me are full of problems. They are full of burdens. They are full of pains, full of heartaches, full of regrets. They're full of all of these things. He says, and now I know it. Now I see it because I have actually lived it. Now, if you have a Bible or you can look at the uh, screen behind me, uh, there was another group of people who wanted to learn from Jesus himself about how to live a life of, of more importance, a, a life that matters, okay? And it's found in Mark chapter 10, and these guys were the disciples, okay? These disciples wanted to be people of impact, all right? Just like Jesus did, uh, or just like we do, and they asked Jesus, would, would you show us how to do this? But at, at beginning in verse 35, they go about it in a funny way, all right? It says there, James and John, who were the sons of Zebedee, came to him, came to Jesus, and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, can you imagine, my parents are here again today, can you imagine going to your parents and saying, I want you to do whatever I ask you to do for me? Anyway, I'll leave that right there and not go any further. It says, we want you to do for me whatever we ask. And so uh, Jesus said in verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? And in verse 37, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. In other words, we want places of prominence. We want position and power. 
We want to be on your right and left side when you come into glory. And Jesus in verse 38 says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But, then he says, to sit at my right hand or the left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared. And then this next verse is kind of funny to me. It says, when the ten, in other words, the other ten disciples heard that James and John were doing this. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. They were mad because James and John beat them to it. They wanted the same places of prominence. They wanted to have the same level of importance. And they were thinking, good grief, man, they beat us to it, and they were mad at them because they jumped the gun on them. But then it goes on to say this in verse 42. Jesus takes this as a great teaching opportunity with them. He says, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you, he tells them. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And then he refers to himself, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, what he's telling his disciples is this. If you want to live a life of maximum impact, if you want to do the things that are going to matter in other people's lives, then you've got to turn things upside down. And this is really a picture of our day-to-day. It is this. It is not about having a place of position or a place of power or a place where we can exercise authority over those. Jesus says you've got to be the servant of other people. He says you've got to become slave of all. You have to embrace the position that I, as the Son of Man, have embraced because I came from heaven not so that people would serve me, but so that I could serve others. And Jesus says I am the living example of what you are to be. And so when I go back to someone like Dan Deardorff's story, I realize that he, he sees and understands, wow, all of a sudden in my world of pain, I see that I need to serve others because others out there, I finally see that others are living in the same kind of boat. I love what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2 where he says, carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens, he says, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now let me ask you a question as we've talked about this for a moment and get you to lock in on on some specific thoughts. Number one, I may be talking to you right now. You might be one of those that you say, okay, Mike, I'm one of those that right now, life's terrible, all right? My life's broken. I'm a little bitter about it, to be honest with you, very angry, all right? Things are broken up, things are not right, things are separated from dreams, hopes, people, whatever the case may be, and that's me. But maybe you know of somebody else right now because your life's okay. Maybe you're on that Dan Deardorff track right now, things are okay, things are going very well. But maybe you need to stop right now and pray and say, okay God, maybe I'm not looking and hearing and seeing and listening to enough to make me understand what I can do for somebody else. There was a survey taken of college students. And the college students that were surveyed were asked one question. 
And their question actually was a statement, and it was a fill-in-the-blank thing. And these college students were asked to write down what they believed to be the most beautiful word in the English language. That's all it was. They weren't prompted with, is it this word or that word or this word or that word? None of that was put into this survey, okay? The only question was, tell me what you believe to be the most beautiful word in the English language. So for fun, last night, there's my wife, and we were in the bedroom. I said, Lori, how many words are in the English language? And she looked at me like, what? I said, let's ask Siri. You know, all you got to do is ask Siri these days. I pressed my button. I said, Siri, how many words are there in the English language? And Siri came back with this answer, uh, and she quoted, or she used the reference of Oxford's second edition dictionary or whatever. And according to Siri now, and I don't know that Siri lies, but just Siri says there are 600,000 words in the English language. 600,000 words. So back to the question, what is the most beautiful word in the English language? College students, okay? Now, I know you think where I'm going with this because it's Mother's Day, but moms, I'm sorry, mom is not the answer. I'll tell you it's close though, all right? They had 600,000 choices. You know what was the overwhelmingly number one answer? Far and above, it lapped all the others. No other word was close to this one that was the most beautiful word in the, uh, in the English language. You ready? Home. Home. So for all of you old guys out there, when we start bashing the young generation, say, oh, I don't know what they're talking about. They're a bunch of young people. What do they know? They haven't lived... We just learned something from young people. Home. Home was the most beautiful word in the English language to them. And I asked myself this question, why? Or, you know, what makes that? And I started thinking about things because that's where you gather around the table. That's where you go with those that you know are going to encourage you. That's where you go where you know memories are going to be made. That's, the reason home is so beautiful is because that's where laughter is had more than any other place. Now, you know, when, when we gather together for family gatherings now, when we go to my mom's house, the family's so large now, okay, that you have to sit at two different tables. You have um, the kitchen table is full and the dining room table is full. But oftentimes to have everybody there at one time is just not going to happen very much. And so if there's ever just a a little bit more than this table can hold, you know what mom does? She starts putting uh, 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 plates around the table at the corners, okay? And my dad has to go get more chairs and put them at the corners. And then instead of having three people on each side, we put four people on each side. And so people are eating like this around the table, you know? Why? Because everybody wants to be around the table, Everybody wants to be around the table. My mother-in-law does the same thing. And so when, when we can and we put everybody together, all of a sudden you say, wow, I'm going to have to eat like this today because everybody wants to be around the table. It doesn't matter. Why? Because it's family. It's where you're going to laugh. It's where memories are going to be made. It's where you're going to be encouraged. I mean, the last time we were together at my mom's house, we were there, and my brother, my younger brother, starts telling stories, and no one tells a story in my family quite like Jeff does, my brother. And he was telling a story. And it was about my dad. I'm down here on one end of the table crying. 
I'm laughing so hard I'm crying. And I look down the other end of the table, my dad's crying because he's laughing so hard he can't see straight. And I look over there at my son and Stephen. Stephen's crying because he's laughing because he says, Dad, old people rock. Nobody tells stories like old people. He says, they're great. And so he thinks my Uncle Jeff's old, and he is, you know, just like me. Why, why is that? Why is home the most beautiful word in the English language? It's because this is where these things happen. And listen, there's a world out there right now, that I'm going to use a word and analogy with you, because of their brokenness, because of their pain, because of all the things they're going through. You know what they're looking for? They're looking for a home. They're looking for somewhere where they can be encouraged. Somewhere where they can be accepted and embraced. Somewhere where around the table they can laugh and they'll be allowed to have conversation in there. That's what folks are looking for. And they know it can be found, but they just don't know where. They don't know if they're welcome at your table. They don't even know if they're welcome inside these doors. And they need to know. Now, I have this video I want you to watch here in just a second. They're going to get it ready. This video is a song that really, to me, summarizes this as I think about what God has intended. In love, He has predestined this. It is His good pleasure to have people into His family. It is His pleasure to have you and to have others. And they need to know that it is God's pleasure for that to happen. Watch this video, if you will.
that a great song? You know, the Lord's taken me, as He does all of us, on a very unique journey over the last 11 to 13 years. One that I never saw coming, never, uh, never dreamed would happen. Part of this uh, way back, uh, when Jeff Murphy and I were sizing each other up still, becoming friends and all that, and that sort of thing. He and I were trying to get together and meet, and uh, schedules kind of didn't hit. And one day he he uh, left me high and dry, and all that. And uh, and that's a true story. I'm not picking on him. But then the next time we were supposed to get together, he was late again. And I was okay with that because I really didn't want to talk about things the way I had in front of me. But he called me and begged me to stay and wait. I told him I got to go, man. He begged me and wait, asked me to wait, and I did. And I started sharing with him some things just as we, you know, sharing our life with each other. I started to share something with him that I, y'all probably think my life's all together, right? I shared with him that day of, of, of part of my life that wasn't. And he pulled an old trick on me, okay? One that is pretty fabulous if you want to know the truth of the matter. As I was starting to get to the crux of the matter, you know what he did? He scooted up on the front edge of his chair and he leaned in close with a smile on his face. In other words, he knew what was coming. He knew the crux of all that was about to be said was on its way right there. And he moved into me to show me that he loved me, to show me that he cared for me, and that what I was about to say, he knew some freedom was going to come following that. And it was a wonderful move on his part. And I'll never forget that, okay? And that's why I said a moment ago, I'll always call him a friend because of, of, of that relationship we had. But that's what this song talks about. That's what this message, I hope, communicated in some way. And when I go back to Ephesians 1 and look at verses 4 and 5, I know that God has chosen us for this purpose. That in love, in love, He predestined us to be adopted and grafted into His family. It was His pleasure. It was His will. He wants that empty chair filled. 
Even if it's a stranger. Even if it's someone I've never spoken to. And He's called us to be that most powerful defense against all that's bad in society. If only we'll receive people like that. And that's the church's job. You want to simplify it? That's it. And I love to tell churches wherever I'm allowed to speak, okay? And it's been a long time since I've been back here. Is that when I do, I look out there and I'm looking at the best ministers of the gospel. The best ministers out there are not the ones that typically occupy the stage. I'm going to speak for myself, not Ed, okay? But I'm just telling you, I think you're the best. And it's because you're out there already. You are the first responders, okay? I know you love and pray for and we celebrate our first responders. We love our police. We love our firemen. We love, we love our military. We love all those people as our first responders that go in. But you are. You have to understand and believe that. You have to know that. You might get on the phone and call Ed Griffin Hagen. You might call 911. You might do all those things, but you're there first to deliver hope and to take people from their brokenness to a place of hopefulness. That's you as a church. You are the most powerful defense for that. You just got to believe it. And then, if you believe it, you act on the things you believe. You will act upon it. We're going to close with these two things. Okay? Because really there's two sides to this, and, this, and I'm going to be quick. Number one, you may have come in here today. I don't know, because I don't know your situation. It's been a long time since I've been here. Right? You may have been coming in here saying, you know what, I'm at the end of all things. I'm broken, I'm bitter, I'm angry. I'm all those things you said, Mike. Don't leave with it. Jesus wants to set you free from that because he's brought you here, if that's you, to be a part of a church that welcomes you to the table. Okay? The, the culture of this church from the beginning has been, someone say it with me, no perfect people allowed. We welcome your imperfect Self. We welcome you. Because guess what? We are too. We have a sordid past as well. If we look in the back rearview mirror, you'll see all the sordid past of Mike Fortenberry and everyone else. So you are welcomed here. And God offers you love. God offers you forgiveness. God offers you eternal life today found in His Son, Jesus Christ. You can have sin forgiven, wiped clean through your belief and confession on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who paid your penalty on Calvary. The second thing is this. Dear church on the trail, you are the most powerful defense against all these things because the Holy, Holy Spirit abides within you. The Holy Spirit empowers you. You just got to believe it. And when they are brought to your table, welcome them. Don't shut your mouth. Don't get up and leave. Welcome them and be Jesus to them. You have a, your connection cards in front of you. I want to ask you to do something, okay? This may feel bold. I don't know what you feel about this sort of thing, but I'm going to ask you to do it because I know Ed, I know Richard, I know Stephen, and I know what they do. I know Lorna. They, they look over these connection cards, pray over them, and respond accordingly, okay? I want you to do something for me. Number one, if you're looking for something further than this message to give you hope in your life situation right now, put it down. Ed will follow up with you. Richard will. I will if you want me to. Okay, just grab me on your way out. Somebody will. If you need hope, put that on your connection card. Say, I need to talk. I think I found the place of hope. I just want to make sure. Okay? The second thing is this. 
if you have somebody that you know needs hope and they need to be on that invitation list to the table, would you write their name down so that your church staff can pray with you and pray for you as you invest your life in them? Would you be willing to do something like that? Your, your church staff would love to pray for you on all these things. Do that, if you will, so that we can know how you are responding to the message today that either A, you're going to give your life to Jesus. He's going to be the leader and forgiver of your life today because you're going to confess your hope in Him and what He's done to forgive you of your sin on Calvary or you want to help bring someone else along so they can understand the message of salvation and hope as well. Would you do that? Let's pray together.